Isaiah chapter 37 in the Old Testament. As you recall, if you've been with us in our study of Isaiah, that Isaiah comes on the scene. In the year that King Uzziah died, that chapter 6, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and, the, and the question was asked, who will go for us? And, and Isaiah said, send me, I'll go. So Isaiah is now beginning his ministry there when Ahaz would come on the scene, Ahaz being a terrible king. And we know that Ahaz plunged the house of Judah deep into idol worship. And during that time, they would go through difficult uh, season. We know that uh, it was Ahaz that was afraid uh, that he was going to be killed by the king of Syria and Israel. He wasn't trusting the Lord. He's trying to make a peace treaty with the, the Assyrians. So Isaiah is ministering the word of the Lord during this time to the house of Israel, the ten northern tribes, and to the house of Judah. And the house of Israel, they had 19 kings, starting with Jeroboam, and, and they were terrible kings. They were all idol worshipers. It went from bad to worse in the house of Israel. And you recall that Isaiah, is, he is prophesying, given the word of the Lord, that the Assyrians are going to come and take you away captive. He's dealing with their immorality, their idolatry, their drunkenness, their sluggishness, all these things that were taking them away from the truth of the Lord. And we know that God had made a covenant with his people there at Mount Sinai that if you follow after me, then I'm going to bless you and I'm going to save you from your enemies. But if you forsake me and go after other gods, then what's going to happen is that you're going to go through difficult days and you're going to eventually go off into captivity by the enemy. So the house of Israel, the 10 northern tribes, go off into captivity in 722 B.C. About 20 years later, as, as the uh, Assyrians were uh, making their way um, towards the south, we also know that the, not all of them went off into captivity, but they would bring uh, the Assyrians and they would settle in that middle part of uh, the nation of Israel where the ten northern tribes were. And they began to build houses. They began to intermarry with uh, the Jews there. And they were known as the Samaritans that we don't have time to go into, but you'll read about the Samaritans in the Gospels. But as they began to flex their muscles, keep in mind the Assyrians, the mighty Assyrians, the power uh, empire during that time, that they come into Judah, the southern kingdom. And, and as we saw in chapter 36, that Hezekiah is the king. Now Hezekiah, as he's the grandson of Ahaz, Ahaz being a terrible, terrible king, and we know that Hezekiah coming on the scene that he would um, begin to bring revival to the land. He, he would uh, clean up the, the temple that, that his father Ahaz had, um, you know, uh, trashed out the temple, closed the temple for worship, put a bunch of idols in there. And so Hezekiah gives the command for the priests and the Levites to come in and begin to cleansed the temple. He restored temple worship. Revival is breaking out. Good things are happening. Well, in the 14th year of his reign, all of a sudden, the Assyrians are knocking on the door of Jerusalem. And again, the Assyrians were ones that when they came and took you over, they tortured you. They put fish hooks in your mouths and they would drag you off. Um, they were a terrible, dreadful army. No one dare stand up to the Assyrians. They all cowered at the sight of the Assyrians. 
And here is Hezekiah that he is facing this army that is now surrounding Jerusalem. And at first, as you read 2 Kings chapter 18, that it tells us that Hezekiah did what his father did, and that was he took gold and silver from the temple, from the house of the Lord, and he tried to pay off the king of Assyria, tried to make a peace treaty with him. Well, the, the Assyrians were happy to take the gold and the silver, but they kept coming. And one of the lessons that we have learned is that don't try to make a peace treaty with the enemy. Uh, he'll take the goods, uh, he, he'll, he'll rip you off, and he's going to keep coming at you, attacking you. So here is uh, all of a sudden the Assyrians coming against Jerusalem. And we know that Rabshakeh, the uh, uh, chief of staff that for the king, comes with this message. And he meets with uh, Hezekiah, the king of Judah. His, his um, guys, Elie, come, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder. And they met with Rabshakeh, and Rabshakeh begins to intimidate. We know that as we went over chapter 36 last week that uh, it's the same thing that the enemy, we have an enemy, Satan, we're in a spiritual warfare. There is a, a real enemy, Satan, who comes against you and I. And he will use the same tactics that we saw in chapter 36. He begins to mock, first of all, Rabshakeh. He begins to mock and saying, who are you guys? Uh, who is Hezekiah telling you that you should trust in Egypt or you're looking to trust in Egypt? And of course, Egypt was a broken reed, he said. He's mocking Egypt. He's mocking Jerusalem. And that's what the enemy does. He comes along and he mocks us. And we saw, of course, in chapters 30 and 31, that it was the Lord that said to the children of Israel, listen, trust in me. Don't go to Egypt. I brought you out of Egypt, back in the book of Exodus, and when he brought them out of Egypt, out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt that they were under for 400 years, I don't want you to go back to that. And you see, they were looking to trust in Egypt. And the Lord was saying, come to me, but you won't come. But those Arabian horses and chariots and uh, you know, fighting men that they have of Egypt, and as well as with Ethiopia, they are not going to help you whatsoever against the Assyrians, but I will. If you look to me and trust in me. And you see, in our lives, I think that most of us, if not all of us that are here, that we know that the attacks come. That they can be very frightening. And we go through trials and difficulties in life. The enemy comes against us. And what we are to do is we are to recognize uh, the devices of the enemy, even as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, he says, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. So he'll come along, he'll mock us. He's the accuser of the brethren who accuses us day and night. And then we saw in verses 8 and 9 of the chapter that he intimidates. And, and then he brings confusion, as we saw in verse 10. And then he tries to grip you with fear. And here's the thing, that if he can get you to be fearful, when we have that fear that grips our hearts, we begin to make bad decisions. And it's really important that when we become frightened and afraid, and I think that all of us at times that we face certain circumstances and difficulties where we become afraid, is that we can begin to make bad decisions. 
And that's what Hezekiah did, as we see in 2 Kings chapter 18. You see, when the Assyrians were coming, he did what his father did. He took the gold and the silver, and he tried to pay off the king of Assyria. And Shennacherib, the king, took the gold and the silver, uh, but he kept coming towards Jerusalem. So Hezekiah now understands that the Assyrians are knocking at his door and that the Assyrians are, are uh, wanting to destroy them. And, and here is the tactic of uh, the king of Assyria. He, he begins to grip them with fear. Then he begins to bring in deception. He says, you guys need to surrender. Just surrender and give up. And as you surrender, that things are going to be okay. Come on out. Come and we'll take you to Assyria and it will be a land where you have vineyards and you'll have crops and everything will be okay. It'll be pleasant. You see, the enemy does the same thing with us. If he can get you to be fearful after he mocks you and intimidates you and bullies you, after he brings confusion and he begins to say, you need to compromise. Don't trust in the Lord. He was saying, who's Hezekiah telling you to trust in the Lord? Your God's not going to be able to save you. You need to surrender to the king of the Assyrian. Then everything will be okay. And the enemy does the same thing, trying to get you to compromise the ways of the Lord and the promises of the Lord, not to believe in them, to doubt them, so that you will begin to compromise. And then compromise is going to, again, lead to you making decisions and doing things that is very contrary to the way that God wants you to live and how he wants you to respond to a situation or it begins to rob you of your faith and, and you begin to, to realize that you find yourself once again in bondage to those things. You find yourself that the enemy's lying to you because he's a master deceiver and just as Egypt kept them in bondage, if you turn to the world or as you believe the enemy that he tells you to live directly contrary to the way that God wants you to live or, or to forsake his promises or look to the philosophy of the world and the ways of the world, you will find yourself in bondage. You won't be free. You'll be free. They're going to go off into captivity. So it leads to rebellion is what it does. So all those things that we talked about. So now we see that that it is those guys, as we close chapter 36, Elie come and, and Shebna and, and um, Joah, that come to Hezekiah and said, this is what Rabshakeh said, pretty heavy stuff. So let's go into chapter 37. And so it was when King Hezekiah heard it that he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. Now, Hezekiah realizes that I can't make a peace treaty with the enemy. He hears the words of, of Rabshakeh that we're going to destroy you, that your God is not going to help you. Don't trust in, in what Hezekiah is saying, that, that you need to trust in the Lord and look to him. And what Hezekiah is, he hears the words that the Assyrians are going to attack Jerusalem and is going to destroy Jerusalem that he goes to the house of the Lord. He tears his clothes. He puts on sackcloth. That is a, a way in the Old Testament of, of he's mourning, he's grieving, and he goes to the house of the Lord to pray. Now listen, this is really important because I've talked to a lot of people in ministry over the years. And what can happen is, is when we find ourselves facing the Assyrians of our lives, difficulties or trials, 
what happens to some Christians is they begin to isolate themselves. They begin to, to, to say, I've got to figure it out myself. I've got to come up with a plan. I've got to do something. But they, again, don't turn towards the Lord. They begin to, to uh, go away from the Lord. Uh, they don't draw close to the Lord. But what they do is they begin to turn away from the Lord. And we need to be careful not to do that. Here is Hezekiah that goes to the house of the Lord. And sometimes we can have a tendency to say, you know what, I'm not going to read my Bible. I'm not going to have devotions. I'm not going to go to church to be in fellowship with believers who are there to pray for you and strengthen you where you can hear the word of God. I'm not going to go to the house of the Lord. And I've run into Christians that at one time were in fellowship and, and they were involved in, in serving the Lord and in ministry and they come against a difficulty and a trial and I know it's hard and, and they will begin to not draw towards the Lord but they turn away from the Lord. Listen, if you're in a trial here tonight, you have the Assyrians that are knocking at your door or maybe you're just going through challenges or maybe a loss that you're going through Draw towards the Lord. He wants you to. Don't turn away from Him. And don't isolate yourself because you see one of the tactics of the enemy, again, is to try to isolate you because he knows that if you're isolated, you're kind of by yourself, you're away from other believers, you're not drawing close to the Lord, that he has a whole lot better opportunity to beat you up and to really, uh, to really get a foothold into your life. And to really discourage you and to make you afraid and feel hopeless. So Hezekiah does something that we need to do. And that is we need to make sure that we stay close to the house of the Lord. That we're in fellowship. That we're in fellowship with the Lord first of all. And fellowship with other believers as well. That can encourage you. So in verse 2. So he sent Eliakim who was over the household. Shebna the scribe and the elders and the priests. Covered with sackcloth to Isaiah the prophet the son of Amos. And they said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of trouble and rebuke and blasphemy for the children have come to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. And it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to reproach the living God and will rebuke the words which the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. So here these guys come to Isaiah and he sends his men there to speak to Isaiah. And they say that Isaiah, that here is the Assyrians that have surrounded the city. There's nothing that we, really that we can do. And we are in big trouble. This is a day of trouble. It's like a, the children have come forth to birth, but there's no strength to bring them forth. It's like a woman who's bringing forth birth of a child but doesn't have the strength to do it. She's going to die in that birthing process. Usually that would happen. And what Hezekiah is saying, this is a day of trouble and we're all going to die. The Assyrians are going to do us in. So pray for us, Isaiah. Maybe the Lord heard the words of, of Rabshakeh and Shennacherib and, and mocking the true and the living God. And, and that's what they were doing. Uh, Isaiah, there's nothing that we can do. Those threats against uh, that has coming from the mighty army of Assyria. And so our God maybe heard that. And Hezekiah knows that, as we're going to see, his prayer is big enough to deal with the enemy. And know this, that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world.
that you have the spirit of adoption, as the New Testament says, that you can call out Abba, Father, the creator of the universe, because you have relationship, you're a son or daughter of the living God. Abba, Father, that word Abba literally means Papa, and we have a powerful Papa. And we have a strong Papa, all-powerful, all-knowing, who can work in any situation that we might find ourselves in where we're full of fear and there's nothing that we can do. And sometimes the Lord, uh, we, we find ourselves in those situations, don't we? We can find ourselves like the children of Israel, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, back against the Red Sea and two mountain ranges on both sides. They were trapped. They couldn't do anything as the Egyptian chariots were about ready to come and do them in. And here Hezekiah has this powerful army that has surrounded him. And in those times where we find ourselves that I cannot come up with a plan, I, I can't you know, deal with this, this seems so hopeless, that we always have hope in Jesus Christ. We always have hope in our Lord and in the promises of our God. He sees us just as he sees what's going on here. And we need to always remember that there is hope in the God that we love, in the God that we serve, and the God who is our great shepherd and our good shepherd and the one who sees what it is that we're going through. So in verse 6, we see that Isaiah said to them, Thus you shall say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. And surely I will send a spirit upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword of his own land. So here Isaiah says, You know what? Go back, tell the king. He doesn't need to be afraid of Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, he doesn't need to be afraid of the army. They're going to hear a rumor. They're going to hear a noise. And they're going to be turned away. We'll see that at the end of the chapter, what happens. And, and that the king of Assyria is going to go back home and they're going to end up killing him. You don't need to be afraid. You know, as we look at the scriptures, it was interesting, and the Lord was really laying this on my heart this afternoon as I was thinking about today's study, that uh, there are men of faith that God told not to be afraid, and and he would tell them that after it seemed like they had great victory, or or they just had, you know, um, just spiritual revival, or, or watching God work mightily in their midst, like Abraham. Chapter 14, Abraham goes and rescues his nephew Lot and and he goes and he brings the spoils back and a great victory and he meets with Melchizedek. Uh, we, we know chapter 14 and then chapter 15 starts out with the Lord coming to Abraham and saying, Abraham, don't be afraid from your exceedingly great reward. And I think, what was Abraham afraid of? He just had great victory. He took 318 of his servants to go way up by Damascus and defeat these four kings and had great victory, brought the spoils back, and all of a sudden, Abraham is afraid. And the Lord says, you don't have to be afraid, Abraham. Was he afraid because he's waiting for the promise of a son to be fulfilled? Is he afraid because he thinks that God isn't going to fulfill that promise? Is he afraid for other reasons? I don't know, but he was afraid. 
after he had great victory. We know that Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, that, that they had defeated uh, uh, the, the Ammonites and, and the kings on the east side of the Jordan River, and they're about ready to cross the Jordan River, come into the promised land that God had given to them. Joshua, finally, 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 after 40 years, that they're there, and they just had great victory, and Joshua's leading them. And in chapter 1, the Lord comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, don't be afraid, but be strong and of good courage. Three times the Lord said that to Joshua. And Joshua, make sure that you're meditating on the word of God day and night, and wherever you step, you'll be prosperous. So Joshua was afraid at that time as well, after he's seen great victory, after God has promised that he's going to move, but yet he was afraid. We see that with David. As you read the Psalms and, and as you read 2 Samuel 22, that David was afraid and, and David had such great victories. When we think of David, we think of how he defeated Goliath and David showed such courage. He's a young boy. He was too young to even be in the army and he's bringing food for his brothers and there is Goliath stomping up and down the valley, you know, challenging the children of Israel, mocking God. And here's David who's just a shepherd boy saying, you know, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the armies of the living God? Somebody should do something about it. And David, of course, takes his sling and he goes out and he takes down with one rock a nine-foot giant, a champion, Goliath, and lops his head off. And you think such courage and such victory, but after that, David would be afraid. And he would express that in his, his psalms that he gives. We know that it is Paul the Apostle. Paul the Apostle is such an incredible man of God. And Paul, on that second missionary journey, he, he comes into Corinth, and the church explodes, and things are happening, and the church is growing. And that didn't happen in Athens. It didn't happen in some of the cities that he visited, but Corinth was the church where there was real fruit that was happening. And the Lord comes in Acts chapter 18 and says to Paul, Paul, don't be afraid, for no one's going to hurt you in this city. And I have many people in this city. And Paul, because he had the promise of God's presence and God's protection, that he was able to continue on for a year and a half in Corinth. And as I was thinking about, here is Hezekiah. There's been revival that's been going on for 14 years here in Judah. Things are happening. Uh, the word of God is spreading. The worship uh, in the temple and has been restored. And things are good right now. And all of a sudden, he's afraid. And I think that perhaps the reason that the Lord has put that on my heart and looking at that, that after there is victory or after there's, you know, God working in a powerful way, that we can become afraid because God's been working here at Calvary Chapel Greeley. And we have seen him work in wonderful ways over the last week, over, you know, the last months, over the last couple years, people getting saved, people growing in the word of God reaching the community with the gospel. And, and I don't know if we realize sometimes, but there are some churches that the gospel has not been preached in their church for years. We are in a church, you know, uh, this weekend, and, and um, it was Sue's father's memorial, that, that unfortunately the church, the gospel, is not being presented there. 
And I was so proud of Barbara who spoke for her grandfather in memory of her grandfather who, who told the people that my grandfather is in heaven because he had faith in Jesus Christ. And he knew that his sins were forgiven. And Jesus went to the cross and died for him. And he believed in him. And that was probably the first time in I don't know how long that the gospel was presented in that church. And the people that are older, they're, you know, they're, they're there and they're talking about, yeah, the church has been liberal and we're just trying to get used to it. And what happens is, is when there is compromise with the word of God and the message of the gospel, that over time, that churches get further and further away from it to where they forget the gospel. They don't even know what it is anymore. In a sad state. There was somebody who said to me, you know, a, a month or so ago that they came and it was refreshing because they said they went to a few churches, and I'm not trying to be critical, but just an honest evaluation of what we see is going on. And they were really noticed as a stranger because they came with their Bible. Nobody else brought a Bible. So he came with his Bible, and he really stood up as a, out as a stranger. And I thought, wow, it really shouldn't be that way. Because the Word of God is being diminished. The gospel is being swept under the rug. Sin is not being addressed. You, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to give happy messages. We're just going to talk about practical life, you know, living in, in areas, which is fine. But they're not learning the word of God. And what I pray that we here at Calvary Chapel, that we would say this, that we're going to be like the Church of Philadelphia in the book of Revelation, that God commended them. He had nothing bad to say about that church. They weren't a perfect church. But he says, you have a little strength. I commend you. You're not this great big organization with huge buildings and all of this. You have a little strength. Because the Lord was their strength. And he says that you have not denied the name of Jesus. You have not forsaken my word. And may we never deny him. And may we never forsake the word of God. And how the word of God needs to be proclaimed more than ever in the days that we are in. May we never depart from that. And to know that we are not ashamed of the gospel, right? Amen? For it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. But I also know this, that the enemy is going to be knocking on our door, folks. And he's going to want to put fear into us. Because God is working and the enemy is not happy. He's not happen, happy that our children are getting saved. He's not happy that our youth are, are coming to the Lord and they're being used of the Lord. He's not happy that you guys are growing in the Word of God and have a hunger for the Word and you desire to raise your children in the ways of the Lord. You desire to be a witness at work. You desire to minister and to pray. He's not happy about that. And he's going to come and he's going to try to mock us and he's going to intimidate and bully and try to bring confusion and he's going to try to get us to compromise. But may we stand firm in the Lord and we don't have to be afraid because sometimes I do get afraid. I start thinking, Lord, what's going to happen? And, and I just know the enemy's sitting right outside the door there looking how he can get a foothold into this church, into your family and in the 
the life of, uh, of every single one of us, to make us ineffective, to compromise, to, to be full of fear and intimidated and bullied and all of this that we have seen the tactics of the enemy. And we don't have to be afraid. But I do want us to know this, that he's going to come at us and he's going to keep coming at us. You see, ah, we got to end. I only got through six verses. <laughs> Seven verses. But that's okay. Because I think it's an important message. And what we're going to see here is that, that there's going to be the Assyrians that are going to leave for a little bit. And they're going to leave Jerusalem. Hezekiah receives this word. And it's going to be Hezekiah thinking, well, maybe the enemy went away because he's going to be attacked by actually Egypt, uh, led by the Ethiopians. And it's not going to help them. And Rabshakeh says to Hezekiah, listen, don't think that I'm not coming back because I'm coming back and I'm going to do you in and wipe you out. So I want you to know this, that the enemy, he is not saying you know, Calvary Chapel, great things are happening or good things are happening in your life and in your family or with you individually. So I think I'll give you a break. I think I'll just kind of leave you alone. He's going to be madder and more angry and hateful than ever before. And he is going to meet with principalities and powers and, and uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to have a meeting and he's going to say that you... And your family and this church needs to be stopped. And the enemy is going to come and surround us with, at times, seems to be overwhelming forces. But God has a message for us that we don't need to be afraid. And again, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And as James says, that you submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Listen, let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Let's trust in him. Let's keep praying. Let's not get sluggish or sloppy in the days that we're in, but to know that the enemy's there ready to attack. He wants to try to bring us down and do us in, but the Lord, he's going to complete that which he has begun. Amen? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he has begun a good work in us, will bring it to completion. And... What the Lord's going to do is something amazing. And see, he's defeated the enemy already. The enemy is just going to come against us. We fight not for victory. We fight from victory. But there's still a spiritual war out there. So we want to be awake. We want to continue to pray. God wants to do so much more. But let's not be ignorant of Satan's devices that he's going to be there. So let's... Let's watch out for each other, okay? Let's take care of each other. Let's be praying for each other. Let's be praying for the church, be praying for the leadership here, and praying in what God wants to do. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for tonight. And even though we, we didn't cover chapter 2, a few verses, but important verses for us to understand that, that Lord, that you're doing incredible things. Like in Hezekiah's day, there was revival, and you're working here. And you want to do so much more, but the enemy will come to discourage, to draw us away from you, trying to, to confuse us, to put fear into us. And the message is we don't need to be afraid. Oh, Lord, I know that there are those here tonight that you're facing your own Assyria. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe finances. Maybe with your health. Maybe it's something else. 
But I want you to know that the Lord sees you. And he is all-knowing and all-powerful. And you have the spirit of adoption in you to where you can cry out, Abba, Father. And just as he told the children of Israel, will you come to me? Will you draw close to him? And be strengthened and renewed in him and his word and his promises given to you. And Father, I thank you that you haven't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. And Lord, I pray that you would work on behalf of your people. And maybe there are some that are here that you're afraid for your family member. You're afraid of what's going to happen when the bills come in. Maybe you're afraid for your children. Lord, that we commit all that to you. And so, Father, I thank you that we have an all-knowing, all-powerful God that created heaven and earth. And there's nothing too difficult for you to work. I also want to pray if there's anybody who may be here that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. And the reason that he came to this world is because there's a sin problem. All of us have sinned, every single one of us. And sin has separated us from God. He's a holy God. And and the standard is perfection. And none of us can reach that. You see... The law declares us guilty, and we're all guilty. And that's why Jesus came, the one who lived a perfect life, the Son of God, and died for you on that cross and took your sins upon himself, made atonement for your sin. He is the propitiation, the satisfaction, the requirements of a righteous God for forgiveness of sin came through Jesus Christ. Him alone did that, no one else. And Jesus said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves you. He created you. He created you to worship him, to live for him. Will you give your life to him? He gives the invitation to come and to believe in him and surrender your life to him. Just recognizing that I need to be forgiven. And Jesus, you were put into a tomb and you're alive. You rose from the grave. You uniquely did that. And now we have a living hope. Will you put your faith in him? And if that is you, anybody here, you can pray right where you are, sincerely in your heart, that I hear the invitation and I come to you That, Lord, that I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. That, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Forgive me. I believe you rose from the grave. You're alive because you're speaking to my heart. And I ask you to sit upon the throne of my life as my personal Lord and Savior. And I want to know you. I want to walk with you. And I want to, Lord... Just walk in this newness of life that you've given to me. So I thank you for hearing my prayer. For saving me. Take everyone home safely here tonight, Lord. Bless the rest of the week. We look so forward to meeting again. The ladies on Saturday and young adults on Friday. and As a congregation again on Sunday. We thank you for your incredible work in our lives. Your goodness. Your love for us. And so, Lord, we leave here rejoicing in our hearts in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Would you please stand?